read a scripture to you that I was reading this week, and I'm just basically, I mean, uh, pray for me. I'm go, totally going off script here, but that's okay because I'm not reading that scripture. That's a good scripture, though. Read that scripture, and then we'll move on. I'm reading from Hebrews. How many people know that the Lord loves coffee? Because he brews. I know, it's a pastor joke. Thick auto. That was for you, buddy. He brews. All right, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. I read this this week just on my own time, just, just studying worship in the Lord, not, not prepping for anything. I just was reading the Word, and, and this stuck out to me. And I feel it will be the basis of what I'm going to share today um, by the Spirit. Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 in the Passion Translation says, This is why the Holy Spirit says, If only you would listen to His voice this day. Don't make Him angry by hardening your hearts like your ancestors did during the days of their rebellion, when they were tested in the wilderness. There your fathers tested me and tried my patience. Even though they saw my miracles for 40 years, they still doubted me. This ignited my anger with that generation, and I said about them, they wander in their hearts just like they do with their feet, and they refuse to learn my ways. My heart grieved over them, so I decreed they will never enter into the calming rest of my spirit. I want to talk to you today about the calming rest of his spirit, and he says, basically, you're never going to enter into that resting in the presence of the Lord because of doubt. And I feel like laying out right now just an understanding of the difference between doubt and hope, how they're opposites of one another. But before I get any further, here's just something that we're going to deal with on the belief spectrum. So... We've been talking about a lot about belief lately with the whole healing series. You know, what you believe matters. Right. Faith and belief are two sides of the same coin. If you have belief in the wrong thing, it doesn't matter if you have great faith. You're putting your faith in something that is a lie inherently. And you as a believer, especially spirit-filled believers, have access to the Father, as the Bible tells us, to where we can check things to figure out, is this the truth? What do we believe and what are we standing on? And I just want to tell you the truth that every single person here right now, you are always basically having to stand upon what you believe no matter what is going around you. So discovering your belief system matters. So I want to ask you an important question. What do you believe? Do you believe that ultimately God is in control of what happens on the earth today? And that the devil can only do what God lets him do. Or do you believe based upon, if you read the word, the Bible says the devil's the prince of the air and the ruler of this age. Do you believe the devil's in control and that he accomplishes his will through secretive ways on the earth today? Because there's rape, there's murder, there's pillaging, there's wickedness, there's viruses, there's sickness. How could God de desire any of that to happen? Or do you believe that man is ultimately in control of what happens on the earth? 
that we have free will, and so we decide what happens on planet Earth on a regular basis. Very complex when you really just start boiling down what do we believe. Because you could preach any of those sermons. I could sit here and preach to you how you are ultimately in control of your life because that is true. How many people came here from your own free will today? How many people opened your eyes and you were in church because the Lord spirited you here and you had no decision involved? I was hoping for at least one because I was like, that would have been epic, God. Like the Lord's just like, you need it. In this church, if you'd raise your hand, everybody would have been just shut up. They're like, knew this guy really needs it. The Lord's like, there you are. So here's the complexity of it. According to scripture, the devil gained dominion over man when man fell in the garden. So sin entered into the heart of man because the devil sowed doubt in the belief of man. The devil told Eve, because God said, don't eat of that tree, he sowed doubt. But did the Lord do it because he loves you and cares for you, or is it because he's holding something back from you? So then she began to doubt the character of God. Sin entered into man. From that, the curse came, and dominion was transferred into the hands of the devil, whereas God made man to have dominion over everything upon this earth. Are you tracking with me so far? All right, so that's complex, right? We understand that. But if you read scripture, you also know this, that the devil, even though he functions on this planet earth in his own perverse, wicked ways, God has set up restraining orders that he is not able to go out with full-on chaos yet. That's why you read about tribulation, and you understand that when God stops restraining the devil, it's going to get a whole lot worse on the earth. So the devil is basically carrying out his agenda through, number one, people that don't even know the truth are being used by the devil. How many people in here before you were saved were ever used to do wicked things? Okay, that's the way it works. You perverted the world because you were pervert yourself and you didn't really even know who, was, who you were furthering along the way. That's existence. Now, man is like the free agent. Here comes mankind. We're like the long lost prodigal son or the heir to the throne that is stepping into this place where ultimately man can only gain dominion over Satan in the realms of obedience to God. So just because you will something does not mean you have authority over the devil. You have authority over the devil when you're functioning under the calling of what God wants you to function under. Now, when you step into a place of authority as a born-again believer, it's not like every devil turns around and starts cheering you on. It's like, yep, you finally stepped into it. We'll just let you do what you're supposed to do. Because of the way the world works in this complexity, when you step into the realm of authority, there's a web of resistance by the enemy through people knowingly and unknowingly coming against you that you've got to step through in your belief system to constantly remind yourself who you are in Christ Jesus and continue to stand strong. So if you really boil it down, God is in control and God is looking to further his will through men and women 
that will submit themselves to his plan and step forward to take the ground that the enemy has perversely grabbed a hold of, and that is the call of God upon the church right now. Now, why does this matter? It matters because in the scope of time, time is held in the hands of the Father. God is not bound by time. God knew from the time he made man that man would fail. He put things in perfect plan and strategy to dominate the enemy and ultimately lead to basically the outpouring of his spirit upon the earth to get as many people saved from their own free will, take the church out, let the devil have his heyday to destroy it because that's what sin brought in and then bring in a new earth and we're all a part of that. Somebody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. How many people are glad? Number one, you're a part of the winning team. Okay? So you don't have to worry. But right now what happens is it's like because of the complexity We, even though we believe in God, we trust God, we we follow after his word as best as we can, we we walk upright, we pray often, we still kind of go through this where one second we're okay, the next second we're starting to worry and doubt begins to enter into our hearts. And if you read this, what God was frustrated with, he said, look, I'm frustrated with these people because for 40 years I fed them supernaturally. For 40 years, I did miracles, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I led them through the wilderness. I drowned the Egyptian army. I did all of these supernatural things, yet they still doubt. And because of that doubt, he says, I'm just frustrated with them. They can just go on down the road. They will never enter into my calming rest. And what I'm talking about today is the calming rest of the Spirit. The calming rest of God's Spirit has It is not subject to the circumstances of this world. It is a reality that functions upon a life, whether things are great or things are hellish around you. There's a rest that is entered into in the spiritual realm of God, where if you're in a shipwreck, you're calm. If you're in prison, you're calm. If you're being celebrated and put before people, you're you're calm. There's a calm rest of the Spirit of God that you walk in and operate in. And that is our ultimate goal. Amen. Amen. Our goal is that even while on this earth, we tap into the supernatural things of God and live it on a daily basis. Not just saying one day we'll get there, but right now we're not yet there. Now everybody in here... It's like you read the word, or maybe I'll talk for myself. I've read the word. It's like number one thing that stood out in the, in the Gospels was when God fed 5,000 people with a little bit of food, just a little fish and a little bread, and that's an awesome miracle. And two chapters later, he's doing the same thing, and the disciples that were with him the first time literally say, how can we feed them all? And you read that, and you're like, bro. What is your deal? Were you not there the first day? And I literally, the first time I read that, I actually thought, my Bible has a misprint. I was like, oh no, they like did not edit this properly, and this story is told twice. I was flipping back and forth. I'm like, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. What a blockhead. Come on, somebody. It's always easy to read someone else's story and find where they messed up. What an idiot. I would never do that. Yeah, right. And yet we do because taking your own life, how much has God done for you and yet still 
Oh my gosh, things are heating up in America. Oh my gosh, this is happening. Oh my Lord, this is breaking out. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you something. It has been the enemy's tactic from day one to steal the hope from God's people. Because if he can rob you of your hope, then everything you're worried about in this world starts to pile itself upon you. And it's like you just see the hand of the enemy everywhere and you miss the hand of the Lord. And it begins to wear down on you to where you feel like you've been in a battle for your own life, your entire life. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody here right now. It's like you have been in a war to even be here serving the Lord right now. But today, by the power of the Spirit of God, heaven is going to break that lie off of your life. You're going to enter into a place of rest by the Spirit of God where all that struggle on the inside is going to be taken care of so that God equips you to fight the battle out of these doors and take the ground that heaven has called you to take. Come on, the devil is terrified of a believer that walks in the realms of authority he's supposed to walk in. That's why he creates this web. That's why he pushes his agenda. That's why everything he does is to bombard the mind of the believer to get you doubting whether or not you're supposed to do what God has called you to do. And it matters. Say it matters. matters. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, say source of hope, hope. will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm, Somebody, come on. Say, I'm worried about the election. You should not be worried about the election. It's an important election, but I got a news flash for you. The church will thrive whether we're persecuted or not persecuted. The church will not be silenced. You can't legislate a move of God. You can't come and shut us down. No matter what, God will have his way. If you believe it, shout amen. We are on the brink of the greatest outpouring of God's spirit upon this earth. I believe it with every fiber of my being. This is not an hour of defeat. This is not an hour of heaviness. It's an hour to take heaviness and throw it off and say, I'm going to enter into the rest of the Spirit of God, and I will not doubt another day in my life. Heaven is breaking out across this earth. And every time you read an article of oppression, just know that God has already severed those bonds, and he is moving powerfully across the earth. And you're a part of that move. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Woo. Strong belief. Strong belief. The Bible is here for us so that we can read it and realize if God is going to lead people out of slavery and drown the very oppressing army in the Red Sea, and give them wealth as they enter into the promised land, and then provide for them in the promised land, and then protect them in the promised land. That if God did all that in the Old Testament before the blood of Jesus was shed, how much more is he looking to do in this generation that is standing before him as the righteousness of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? God wants to do expect, expect something incredible every day of your life. When's the last time you woke up like a little kid going to Disney World because it's a brand new day and you're like, something epic is about to happen? When's the last time there was something churning in your veins where you were like, I don't know, things have been looking weird, but that just means things are about to get really, really good. If you're not living like that, you need to shake off the junk of this world. 
Say, that ain't my lot, that ain't my portion. God is in control of my life and I submit myself to his will, which means I will see victory every day of my life because that's who he is and that's what he does. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Now listen to me. So important for you to grab this right now. That stepping into this place of the supernatural things of God, I feel has been God's plan every since the fall in the garden. And when Jesus came, it's like God holds time in his hand and he's just looking for a generation that will come in agreement with his plan and his will for that hour and step into it regardless of the attack that comes against the bride. Let me tell you something. I believe that God shows us to be in this generation because we had what it takes in this hour to do what God is calling us to do. Do you believe that? Now listen, hope is this incredible thing. I remember reading an article, and and don't quote my medical knowledge on this because I am not a medical expert, but it was basically saying that in a human body, there's like chemical reactions that happen like when things are going on in our life. And the article said that in our brains, whether you are worried about something or excited about something, the exact same chemical reaction is happening. So there's not a difference on a chemical, physical level of what is going on in the human body at that moment. So if you're worried, stressed out, or you're excited, it's the same thing going on, that anxiousness you feel. The difference is, is your, your expectation of the outcome. So when a person is stressed and worrying and expecting a bad end, all those chemicals build up on the inside of you and you feel like this is going bad. So you're stressed out, you're worried, you're snapping. But if a person is excited, like they are expecting, I just did this and I'm about to be you know, stepping into the greatest thing I've ever done, that the same chemicals are working, but your outcome is different. Your expectation is different, I mean. So you're looking at it from a positive standpoint instead of a negative standpoint. So God made you in a way where his spirit operates on the inside of you to give you an outlook of what is necessary for the believer's life so that even though the enemy operates in this world, he cannot stop what God wants to do in your life as long as you keep your spirit, man, looking at the right thing. That's the difference between hope and doubt. What did God say to him? He said, look, they doubted me, so they're not going to enter into my calming rest. I have this great presence, this great purity, this great just glory that I want to pour out on a generation. But if they continuously doubt me by their own doubt, my presence is not in the place. But if they would just step over into the realms of the spirit where they keep themselves full of hope, I pray that God would fill you with hope, with his glorious Holy Spirit, so that every day your outlook is that God is about to do something spectacular in this generation. Then that hope is what the enemy has no authority to take out. Hope is vision. Come on, somebody. When you have hope and you have vision, you're looking ahead and you're like, man, I don't care what it looks like right now. Things are about to break loose in my life greater than I've ever seen. Hope matters. Now, why do we have hope? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that these things are eternal things. It says at the end, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In the New Living Testament, it says that these things abide or live forever. They are eternal. Faith, hope, and love are eternal. 
It will be with you for the remainder of your days because when you get in the presence of the Lord, these things still exist. But the greatest of these is love, the Bible says. Why does that matter? Because when you begin to get a revelation of how madly God loves you, bro, it is impossible to have a negative outlook. Because you're like, he's ridiculously incredible, ridiculously powerful, absolutely supernatural, in control, in authority. And out of everything, he looked and found me and said, I choose you. Come on, somebody. He loves you. The love of God is not just some fabricated thing far off that one day in heaven we're going to see the love of God. The love of God is the reality of his presence enveloping you and protecting you in the midst of this world. He loves his children. The greatest of these is love because love gives way to the fruit of hope and faith because you can trust him no matter what comes your way because you know how much he loves you. God loves you. The calm, the calming rest of his spirit is the place where the church enters into the reality of how much God loves them. And in this room right now, here's the deal. It's like everybody says, I know God loves me. But then we also say, but I don't know if he likes me (laughs) because of the things I've been through. We all will say God loves me, but that doesn't mean you have a revelation of God's love. It's like when you're a 12-year-old and you tell your girlfriend you love her. You don't really know anything about love. You're 12 years old. You love her as much as you love a puppy or chili corn dog. (laughs) Love is something that matures. God's love is ultimately mature. Your your understanding of that love has got to mature through walking through things in this life and seeing the handiwork of God's presence and the reality of what he's willing to constantly give to help you out even when you don't deserve it. Are you with me right now? God loves you whether you're living on fire for him, taking nations, preaching, singing, just stomping devils, and he loves you if you're bound up in addiction, struggling, barely getting by, barely paying bills. God's love did not change in that capacity or that spectrum. It's not like he chooses to love you greater because you're doing things awesome and chooses to love you just mildly because you're screwing up. God loves you. His love is constant. What is not constant is your response to that love. And the response to that love is something you've got to work on to realize, why would I ever choose any junk of this world over the love of my Father that has seen in me what I don't see in me and has called into me what I have yet even tapped into myself? Why would I choose a lesser thing over a greater thing? And when you begin to walk in this place and you begin to realize anything God calls me out to, whether it's uncomfortable, whether people make fun of me, whether it costs me something, it's because he loves me so much, he's calling me into something so good. And I'm telling you, it's like hope versus doubt. Why would you ever doubt what God wants to do in your life when you understand how much he loves? His love has no end. His love has no boundaries. His ever-increasing love. Paul said, I wish that everybody would come to know the height, the breadth, the width, the, the depth of his love. Because it's a lifelong pursuit of how much God loves you. Now here's where we get it wrong. We come into church screwed up. How many people have that testimony? You were a total whack job. One person raised their hand. Praise God. I know. I did, it, I did it really rough to just see, you know, if anybody would actually bite. But, no, you came in a church. You weren't perfect. 
You did this wrong. You did that wrong. You screwed that up. You were doing that. Maybe you had addictions. Maybe you're doing all these things wrong, and you met the love of God. Hallelujah. I can tell you my own testimony. I was bound up with all these things, and I went to church. There was an altar call. There was such a move of the presence of God in that church. I didn't know what was going, but I felt that pulling me forward. And I, the last thing I wanted to do was stand in the front, front of a bunch of strangers, you know what I'm saying, and just stand up there. What is that even going to mean? God can see me in my chair just as much as he sees me up there. <laughs> but it just drew me. And I remember going up there, and the, literally the pastor of the church, which I think it was the Lord, but I don't know, he punched me in the stomach. It's a true story. So my eyes are closed. I'm just like, you know, I don't know what's going on, God, but, you know, you're good. I feel your presence. I'm ready to give you my life. And the pastor gets in front of me, and he's like, wham, just hits me in the gut. I'm flying in the air. I'm livid. I'm so angry. I don't know what's happening. Why would you ever punch a guy with his hands raised, his eyes closed? The natural response is get up. Have him close his eyes. Lift your hands. You know, I can do this too, buddy, all day long. But before I can punch the pastor, the Lord just lays me out on the ground and begins to flash before me all these moments in my life. And I'm talking moments that I should have died. There are people in here, you should have died. The devil Try that just proof that God is in control and that his hand has been on your life because you definitely didn't even realize it, but you wrecked that, you trashed that, you overdosed on that, you went there, you jumped off that, you should have not done that, you ate that, you didn't, all these things. You should be dead three times over. Some of you should be in prison right now and you're smiling and laughing at me. It's like you always go into counseling nervous as a pastor because you're like, just wait before we get anywhere. Is this going to end with me having to call the police? I don't think so. I think it's only illegal in Illinois. Okay, proceed. You should be in prison. But God. Because he loved you. Because he placed his hand upon you. Because he kept you alive for such a time as this. That even in your lostness and not even understanding what was going on, God looked through all of the earth and saw in your heart something that you didn't even know was there. And he said, that's a heart that when they come to know me is going to be so passionate, so on fire, so beautiful, so, so pure that it might look contaminated right now. But I'm about to grab a hold of that heart and put a brand new one on the inside of them. And what the enemy thought he had wrapped up. I'm going to turn around and send back out to take territory from him. It's the love of God. And it broke down every wall in my life. When God showed me all these moments in my life that I hated myself for him, I just began to cry. Every wall is down, and I'm just like, this is perfect love. This is perfect love. Love like that does not exist in this world. I don't care if you met your spouse when y'all were four years old. And... You shared a peanut with each other, and ever since that day, you knew her the one, and now you're 87 years old, and you've done nothing but say, I love you, a hundred times a day to each other, and give back rubs and foot massages, and carry out the trash and wash the dog, and all of these great things. It's still not top, it does not top the love of God. 
it does not even scratch the surface of the love of God. The greatest love this world can produce is nothing compared to the love that God constantly, always, without interruption, is pouring out into you. It's a perfect love. Say perfect. Perfect. It's perfect love. In fact, the Bible says, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. That's the love of the Father for you. For you. When you look in the mirror, you should just look in the mirror and say, that's a person that's loved. Every day of my life, I have been loved. Even when I didn't deserve it, I was loved. Even when I didn't know it, I was loved. Even when I didn't feel it, I was loved. His love has never wavered. But here's what happened. Religion, familiarity, people screw it all up. (laughs) Because you were made to be loved and you were made to love. But in this world, that love is faulty because man is fickle. And so you came into your marriage and you have these expectations that this husband of yours is going to give you a diamond necklace every single year. He was going to wake up early in the morning to put rose petals on the ground so that when you went to the bathroom, you stepped on fresh roses every day. Whatever it is you imagine, he failed you. Mr. Right turned into Mr. Wrong a lot of times. The same guy that quoted poetry to win you is the same guy that farts in the bed next to you. Same guy shouting at the couch, bring me a Coca-Cola, the game's on, and you're like, get up off your butt. I'm getting real, I know. It's raw. I told you this is, this is not in notes. This is definitely not something... If you're taking notes right now, good luck. But here, I'm laying out a point. What happens is then your understanding of love begins to be shaken. The foundation of love is shaken because this person does not love you perfectly. And so then you begin to equate love is attached to how good I am. If I'm doing really good, and I'm doing things right, then love will be reciprocated back to me. But if I'm not doing everything perfect, then it's like a one-way street, and it just begins to decline. And so believers come in shouting hallelujah, fall in love with God as he delivers them from all of this bondage in their life, and three, four, five, 15 years later, in their mind, unspoken, is a blockage of, I failed God here, I failed God there, I didn't do that, I didn't give that, I didn't prophesy well. I failed on that capacity. And so we begin to equate that God is most likely not very proud of our life right now. And that's why things are the way they are. That's why I can't get a breakthrough in my job. That's why I can't see increase over here. That's why uh, I struggle in this capacity. That's why I don't pray as fervently as I once did. All of these things begin to be stagnant because it's based upon you being the one to bring the love to the table that is perfect 
unrealistic expectations. But if I was to bring that same person, that same believer that loved God, that has gotten to that place, that has forgotten how madly God loves them, regardless of where they were Friday night, regardless of what they slipped up and said, regardless of the last time they opened their Bible, regardless of the stagnation in their heart. He loved you now just as much as he loved you before you ever even discovered it. If I was to take that believer out on the streets and we go into downtown Orlando and find a prostitute on the side of the street strung out on drugs, that same believer would look at them with tears in their eyes and say, God loves you. God loves you. He sees you right now. He's calling you out of that junk. You are a royal person with a calling. And yet you look in the mirror and you forget that that love never wavered on your capacity either. Just as much as he loved you when you were lost and screwed up, Just as much as he loved you when you were on fire prophesying God's love is still as potent and as real today as it ever was the first day it was released. Oh, I'm here to tell you today God's love wants to shatter every yoke of bondage in your life and every lie of hell. Every time you've charted yourself and felt like you were found wanting, God says, I filled the gap for you. You have never been wanting because my love will cover every weakness of your life. It never fails. Why does it never fail? Because even if you fail, God's love doesn't fail. So he calls you from that place of defeat and doubt to that place of hope springing up on the inside. Why do I have hope? I have hope not because I'm the greatest. My hope is not that I will make the best decision every day of my life. Phew. Come on. My hope is not that every election will go the way that I need it to go. My hope is not that every single time I invest that things are just going to multiply my account. My hope is found in this principle, that no matter what, whether I have a lot or I have a little, whether I'm on fire or I'm struggling, whether my mind is free or bound up, whatever it is, his love for me is never ending. It's never ending. And as long as that love exists, that you are never written off from heaven, why would you ever write off your story into an expectation of something bad? It's going to be good. It says, I'm calling you into a calming rest of the spirit. Look at the world today. People are angry. People are losing their mind. Hate is filling hearts. People are losing all calmness. And God's calling the church to enter into this place of rest where the love of God is so real to us that it doesn't matter what comes along the way. We know it is going to be good. It's always been good because he is always good. His love is perfect. And if you don't have that hope, then things like years like 2020 messes with you. Things break out. Pandemics come. Wars and rumors of wars. Someone that you love betrays you, abandons you. Turns out that they weren't who you thought they were. And it rocks your whole identity, everything you've given your life for. Married for 20 years and now you're single. And you're like, what was it all for? Did I, did I waste my whole life? And you begin to question things like that. Every time something catastrophic happens, it erodes that hope on the inside. And you look forward and you're like, well, it was bad then. It might be bad again. And so the same chemical reaction that once brought you that youthful, gorgeous excitement that God is about to do something amazing now cooks on the inside of you an expectation that is pivotal, 
that if things don't go the way I think they need to go, this is going to be the devastation of this generation or my life. I'll never rebound. I'll never be loved again. I'll never break out of this place. And that's a lie from hell. And see, if you don't understand the matter of hope, then when you launch out, even if things are going well, but you take a step of faith and you say, Pastor Caleb, I'm doing what I've never done before. God's calling me into ministry. God's calling me into business. He's called me to step forward and fight this fight. You step out and then what happens? Boom, the moment you step out the gates, the enemy comes to present himself to stop you in your tracks. Luke chapter 8 gives the story of the word is perfect. There's a word that is sown. But the thing that changes is the heart's response. Is it a good heart? Is it a heart where soil that is ready to birth and grow? Or is it one with thorns and thistles and all of these things that you begin to realize God's love is that. It's the perfection of heaven. That when he loves you and he puts something on you, he equips you, he provides for you, he calls you, he does everything necessary. All the heavy lifting. Your part is just to keep your eyes on him and say, you know what? If you brought them out of Egypt, you'll bring me out of this place. If you called me to go forward and you said, come walk on the water, you don't call me to walk on water so that I drowned in the midst of the sea. You call me to walk on water so I can shine for your presence and your glory. That is what God has called you to do. And the moment that opposition comes without hope, the same believer that has all this power and this capacity and this authority over hell, Hell brings resistance, and the mind tells them that this is God. God is not on your side. That's why things are struggling in your life. And some of the people under the sound of my voice, that has been a battle in your own mind. It's not even the enemy you worry about. You are in your mind somehow or another twisted up that is God really on my side? Because, Pastor Caleb, you cannot believe the things I've had to walk through. You cannot believe the people that have failed me in the church. You cannot believe I used to go to this church. This pastor did that to me. He turned around to not be perfect. Yeah, because he was a man and he was not God. And just because man failed you and just because you saw bad and just because the wickedness of this world exposed itself in front of you did not change the glorious presence of his love, did not change his outlook on you, did not change his calling on you. It didn't have any authority to change anything about you. It's a lie. It's always been a lie to mess with your mind and think God's not for me because the devil knows the first time you step into that place and you confidently know God is on my side. It's like if we were playing football and a bunch of guys in the church got on there and I had a football team and I had Tim Tebow and I had all these pros on my side. I'd step out there and be like, oh, you guys have fun. But I'm pretty confident we're about to win because I know who's on my team. And my team is superior to any team that this world has ever seen. That team is the team of the Holy Ghost. And if God is on your side, it doesn't matter what comes against you. God raises kings up and he brings kings down. You think God is nervous of a cooked up virus in a lab? No. You think God is nervous over a war on a debate? You think God is nervous over capitalism versus uh, uh, socialism? God is not nervous about any of that. He is still looking at his bride. And he says, whether it's hell or heaven, you will flourish because my love for you is constant and steadfast. Jesus, I feel fire in this place right now. 
Come on, shake off all expectation of bad and start dreaming bigger than you've ever dreamed. Because my friend, let me prophesy as big as you dream, as big as you think. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all of that. Oh, your story's not over with now. And if you're in a chapter that looks more like a country music song than it does the Bible, just hold steadfast. Look your eyes back on the one that is calling you out of that and say, bless God, things are about to get better. I feel like I'm preaching like an old-timey preacher this morning. I need sawdust on the floor. Can I get a B3? feel it in my bones he's about to move I feel it in my bones he's about to move I feel it in my bones man it's like you look at the status of the world and you hear the glimpses of all the strategies and all the plans of men and the enemy to devastate and bring things down but there's something in the inside of you That is like, I refuse to doubt. I don't care if it's been a plan that is planned for a thousand years. God is going to turn it on its side. And we are about to break out greater than we've ever broke out. Don't let the devil steal your hope. You should be the most hope-filled person in your neighborhood. People should come and sit on your lawn just because there's something radiating from the house. Oh, somebody shout amen. People should knock on your door just because they want to hear you say glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Why? Because there's something on the inside of you that is unshakable. The Bible says, once more, I will shake heaven and earth. So shakings do not determine our outlook. We know shakings come. But the thing on the inside of us is unshakable. So shake heaven, shake earth. Shake it all, but let me tell you what's going to happen. The church will prevail. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And you are that church. Somebody say amen. Amen. When the word says that, he's not talking about the church as an organization with a 501c3 umbrella. Incorporate it with board members that report to the IRS every single year. It's all modern interpretation. The reality is, is that when God speaks to the church, he's speaking about you. And he says, you know what? What I put on the inside of you, hell cannot prevail against that. So it doesn't matter if things are coming against you and it feels like you are so far from love because of what has been presented to you in this world. Let me prophesy to you now. That love is still as steadfast as it ever was. He loves you. Do not doubt that love. Do not give way to the enemy that tells you you don't matter. I love quoting this. The most expensive painting in the world, I believe. I think it was a Van Gogh. It sold for $420 million. Right? Who has that kind of money to to stick something on the wall? Me next year. (laughs) 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 Prophesy. Do you know why I was worth $420 million? Because somebody was willing to pay that for it. So what are you worth? You're worth greater than anything wealth could ever produce. You're worth the Son of God, God himself, dying on the cross. 
he being rich became poor that he might make you rich. Come on, somebody. What are you worth? What are you worth? You're worth everything the devil chopped up as a victory in his life, the cross, all of it. He thought, I've finally wrapped this thing up. I've finally won this. It was never about Jesus defeating the devil and winning that day because God's throne was never, ever in jeopardy. God was not like, oh, no, the devil's going to take me out. Please, quick, come up with a plan. (laughs) Angels, wisdom in the multitude of counsels, sing. Back me up. What do we do? The devil, he's huffing, he's puffing, he's breathing. God was like, jeez, please. That's the matter with you. Forget about it. It was never about a war between heaven and hell. Come on, somebody grab this. The battle was here on this earth. The battle was for you. And God proved once and for all, he would do whatever it took to win that battle. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Woo. Jesus. Jesus. So why do we have hope? We have hope because we already know the end of the story. We have hope because every time we read the word and we stand on the word, the word produces results. It never returns void. We have hope because God has proven once and for all. His love is not in word only. He doesn't love you by his lips, but not in his actions. He gave it all. He did it for you. So that you could sit here today, and even though you've been mistreated by man, and even though somebody close to you hurt you, and even though you've been through hell, and people failed you, and you were exposed bad things, you can sit here and still say, I still believe in purity. I still believe in holiness. And I still believe that I will see good things in my life because that's who he is. And he has given me that love, that love he doesn't take away. Come on, somebody. You don't earn love like that. Are you with me? You can't earn that love. doesn't matter if you prophesied every day of your life. You cannot earn the love of God. It's too great. There's not a bank account on this earth. There's not a diamond big enough. There's not gold big enough. There's not platinum big enough. There's not a life long enough to earn one drop of that love. But that love is freely poured out into your life, and it never stops. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. You're validated to have hope and expectation of great things because heaven's plan for your life and outlook on your life has never wavered and never will waver. It's an incredible thing to realize this, that it's because of the great love of God that he gave you free will. And that's why God does not manipulate you. He does not force you into something. He just pours his love unashamedly, without reservation, into your life. He protects you when you don't don't even know you're being protected. He lines things up in your life and prepares blessings and things to overtake you and exciting miracles. Even when you don't even realize it and you're not aware. That even when your heart grew cold and you drew away from him, it's like it doesn't matter. God's love stays steadfast in your life. And let me tell you something here regarding the love of God and stepping into the place that heaven has called you to be in. We are up against the enemy right now. There's a very real threat that comes into the nations of the world. A strategy from hell. But that threat should not erode your expectation 
of what is going to be the outcome. And man being the free agent that can choose, a lot of times we think in ourselves, well, I chose God 10 years ago at an altar. And in that day, something supernatural transpired, but choosing God is not a one-time thing in your life. It's a daily saying, I still trust you, God, and I still follow you. Let me tell you, supernatural power is a reality of the church. There should be supernatural power witness on the nations of the world today, tomorrow, and as long as it takes before Jesus returns and takes us home. Never buy into the lie that that has escaped this generation. What a lie from the pit of hell. As if God would pour out with people in the Old Testament and just briefly with the New Testament and then just decide that's enough. You guys just keep on keeping on. But if you've lived your life serving the Lord, hear me on this. When's the last time God did something supernatural through you? And if it has been a long time since God used you to prophesy, to give a word of knowledge, to speak in tongues and interpret it, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, to see the working of a miracle. If it has been a while, then you need to check your heart and say, wait a second. I know it's as the Spirit wills, but why would God will that I've spent 20 years without walking in the supernatural? That is not the will of God. The will of God is daily He's supernatural, daily He meets the needs of people. So the question is, how far have you wandered from God's presence? Did His love change? No, His love did not change. What changed was your understanding, your expectation of God. So where you once had hope that God was going to use you, now you operate in the realm of, I just got to hold on, I hold on. It's time to get back to your first love. Come on, church. Fall in love with Jesus all over again and realize, man, if I'm breathing today, it's because God has something good today for me. And just because things come against me does not mean that, that, that I'm not going to see victory. Rather, it means that God is going to equip me to see victory in other people's lives too. God wants to move across the nations of the world right now, especially in America. Hebrews 11.1, closing, I'll say this. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. If you've lost your hope today, I pray that the hope of glory would fill your cup to overflowing. I pray that all my shouting and all my jumping and all my sweating something awakened on the inside of you to realize, you know what? I'm shaking off any negative outlook I have of my life. I don't care if you invested all of your wealth into a restaurant and lost it all right now. God can restore twofold, tenfold, thirtyfold. God is still on your side. Say, I made a poor decision. Look around the room. We have all made poor decisions. Come on, somebody. Come on. I had something precious and I lost it. We've all basically probably done that. It's not about our perfection. It's about our outlook and our understanding that along the way, though we have screwed up time and time again, though we forgot how he fed the 5,000, and two chapters later we're stressed out about how to feed three, he still is steadfast, and he still will do it then just as he did the first time. Did you forget? What do we have? Okay, let's do this again. God is on your side. So the Bible says, if God be for you, who can be against you? 
Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.